It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 115, Solomon and the Great White Throne of Judgment. Senator Corleone, Governor Corleone, son. Another peasant of Anta. This was enough time, Michael. was enough time. We'll get there, Pop. We'll get there. Now we arrive in our story where scores get settled and justice is served to those who long deserve it. First of all, this episode should have probably been episode 114 instead of 115 because it begins prior to the death of David, for he gives his son Solomon very detailed directions on the treatment of Israel's internal enemies, specifically after the failed attempt by Adonijah to claim the throne. These instructions are not what you expect from this man of mercy. And honestly, it's going to come off like something out of a mafia movie. Thus the intro from The Godfather you just heard. In my opinion, there's three specific biblical moments that come off extremely mafia-like. The first of these were the weird scenes with Abimelech in Judges 9. And there is this scene in this episode as David hands over power to Solomon with some very detailed and deadly directions given by a dying king to his son and king-to-be. And of course, there is biblical gangster king Jehu himself from 2 Kings 9 and 10. In an act that really defies our understanding of the merciful David, David charges Solomon to settle scores and establish his throne, and Solomon with Benaiah, David's Levite faithful bodyguard, ruthlessly carries out David's orders. First Kings 2. When the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon his son. I'm about to go the way of all the earth, he said, so be strong, act like a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations, as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go, and that the Lord may keep his promise to me. If your descendants watch how they live, And if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. Good advice, right? Sounds like the previous episode where we told most of the account from the book of Chronicles. But 1 Kings gives even more details to David's final request. 
Here the man of mercy takes a radical departure. It changes right here. Crazy. It leaves me baffled. But behind it is a mystery, which we will cover at the end of the episode. It gets personal. David's going to settle some scores, first with Joab, and later with the horrible Shimei. And Solomon will take it further than even his father's orders. 1 Kings 2, 5. Now you yourself know what Joab, son of Zeruah, did to me, what he did to the two commanders of Israel's armies, Abner, son of Ner, and Amasa, son of Jather. He killed them, shedding their blood in peacetime, as if in battle. And with that blood, he stained the belt around his waist and the sandals on his feet. Deal with him according to your wisdom. Do not let his gray head go down to the grave in peace. It's sad that our Joab just received his death penalty. It's really sad considering he was David's nephew and the commander of his army all those years. And despite his horrible murders, he had his moment at the Battle of Rabbah where he did show faith. But his end is fast approaching. Complicated man. But in the end, his faith was in himself, not his God. 1 Kings 2, 8 And remember, you have with you Shimei, son of Gera, the Benjamite from Baruam who called down bitter curses on me the day I went to Maenaim. And he came down to meet me at the Jordan. I swore to him by the Lord, I will not put you to death by the sword. But now do not consider him innocent. You are a man of wisdom. You will know what to do to him. Bring his gray head down to the grave in blood. Then David rested with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David. He enraged 40 years over Israel, 7 in Hebron, and 33 in Jerusalem. So Solomon sat on the throne of his father David, and his rule was firmly established. This is the horrible Shimei from David's worst moments in the rebellion of his son. This is the horrible man who hurled stones at him. I get the feel he's still up to trouble and spreading rumors and trying to manipulate the powers that be in Jerusalem. And David knows it. And he has enough of them. But doesn't this sound like something out of a mafia movie? My son, make sure to bring their gray heads down to the grave. Intense. Before we go into Solomon and his actions to fulfill his orders from his father, and how we definitely have a different king on the throne of Israel now, I read something that Josephus wrote about the death of David that I failed as well to include in the last episode. It's really, really interesting, unconfirmed by other sources that I know of, but quite interesting. Here's Josephus on the death of David and his treasure. It's a bit long, and it begins with Josephus' glowing report of David's legacy, and it rolls into the buried treasure of David. This man was of an excellent character and was endowed with all the virtues that were desirable in a king, and in one that had the preservation of so many tribes committed to him. For he was a man of valor, in a very extraordinary way, and went readily and first of all into dangers, when he was in a fight for his subjects, as exciting the soldiers to action by his own labors, and fighting for them, and not by commanding them in a despotic way. He was also of very great abilities in understanding and apprehension of present and future circumstances, when he was to manage any affairs. He was prudent and moderate, and kind to such as were under any calamities. He was righteous and human, which are good qualities peculiarly fit for kings. Nor was he guilty of any offense in the exercise of so great an authority, but in the business of the wife of Uriah. He also left behind him greater wealth than any other king either of the Hebrews or of other nations ever did. He was buried by his son Solomon in Jerusalem with great magnificence, 
and with all the other funeral pomp which kings used to be buried with. Moreover, he had great and immense wealth buried with him, the vastness of which may be easily conjectured at by what I shall say now. For a thousand and three hundred years afterward, Heraclius, the high priest, when he was besieged by Antiochus, that was called the pious, the son of Demetrius, and was desirous of having him money to get him to rage the siege and draw off his army, and having no other method of compassing the money, opened one room of David's sepulchre, and took out three thousand talents, and gave part of that sum to Antiochus, and by this means caused a siege to be raised, and we have informed the reader elsewhere. Nay, after him, and that many years, Herod the king opened another room, and took away a great deal of money, and yet neither of them came at the coffins of the kings themselves, for their bodies were buried under the earth so artfully that they did not appear even to those that entried into their monuments. But so much shall suffice us to have said concerning these matters. Thank you for sufficing us, Josephus. This idea of buried treasure is quite appealing. It makes for a great story, but I have no idea as to its authenticity. But hey, I did always wonder where Herod got the wealth to rebuild the second temple. Regardless, I'll leave this for the treasure hunters out there to comb through and to verify. All right, at this point, David has died, and let me cover how Solomon fulfilled the mafia-like directions by his father. Before he deals with Joab and Shimei, he also has another altercation with Adonijah, who meets his end as well. 1 Kings 2.13 now Adonijah, the son of Haggith, went to Bathsheba, Solomon's mother. Bathsheba asked, Do you come peacefully? He answered, Yes, peacefully. Then he added, I have something to say to you. You may say it, she replied. As you know, he said, the kingdom was mine. All Israel looked to me as their king. But things changed, and the kingdom has gone to my brother, for it has come to him from the Lord. Now I have one request to make of you. Do not refuse me. You may make it, she said. So he continued, Please ask King Solomon, he will not refuse you, to give me Abishag, the Shunammite, as my wife. Very well, Bathsheba replied, I will speak to the king for you. When Bathsheba went to King Solomon to speak to him for Adonijah, the king stood up to meet her, bowed down to her, and sat down on his throne. He had a throne brought before the king's mother, and she sat down at the right hand. I have one small request to make of you, she said. Do not refuse me. The king replied, Make it, my mother. I will not refuse you. She said, Let Abishag, the Shudamite, be given in marriage to your brother Adonijah. King Solomon answered his mother, Why do you request Abishag, the Shudamite, for Adonijah? You might as well request a kingdom for him. After all, he is my older brother. Yes, for him and for Abiathar, the priest, and Joab, the son of Zeruah. All right, the Bible doesn't always read with figures of speech and written word doesn't normally show irony very well. Take note how Solomon honored his mother, and he bowed low to her. It's another one of those pictures of intercession of women in the Bible. In turn, Solomon also brought a throne to sit next to his, and she proceeded to tell him the words of Adonijah. But you've got to read between the lines and how she communicated to her son. Though one could read it literally, that can't be the case. There's irony in her tone as she spoke the words of Adonijah to her son. In turn, Solomon erupts in anger. 1 Kings 2.23 
Then King Solomon swore by the Lord, May God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if Adonijah does not pay with his life for his request. And now as surely as the Lord lives, he who has established me securely on the throne of my father David, and has founded a dynasty for me as he promised, Adonijah shall be put to death today. So Solomon gave orders to Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, and he struck down Adonijah, and he died. Next, Solomon deals with Abiathar, David's priest, who failed David at the end. And don't fail to notice the fulfillment of prophecy from forever ago, it seems. 1 Kings 2.26 To Abiathar the priest, the king said, Go back to your fields and Anath. You deserve to die, but I will not put you to death now, because you carried the ark of the sovereign Lord before my father David, and shared all my father's hardships. So Solomon removed Abiathar from the priesthood of the Lord, fulfilling the word of the Lord that had been spoken at Shiloh about the house of Eli. Now Solomon deals with Joab, 1 Kings 28. When the news reached Joab, who had conspired with Adonijah, though not with Absalom, fled to the tent of the Lord and took hold of the horns of the altar. King Solomon was told that Joab had fled to the tent of the Lord It was beside the altar. Then Solomon ordered Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, go strike him down. So Benaiah entered the tent of the Lord and said to Joab, The king says, Come out. But he said, No, I will die here. Benaiah reported to the king, This is how Joab answered me. Then the king commanded Benaiah, Do as he says, strike him down and bury him, and so clear me and my whole family of the guilt of the innocent blood that Joab shed. The Lord will repay him for the blood he shed, because without my father, David knowing it, he attacked two men and killed them with the sword, both of them Abner, son of Ner, the commander of Israel's army, and Amasa, son of Jather, commander of Judah's army, were better men and more upright than he. May the guilt of their blood rust on the head of Joab and his descendants forever. But on David and his descendants, his house and his throne, may there be the Lord's peace forever. So Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, went up and struck down Joab and killed him, and he was buried at his home out in the country. Joab dies at the altar of the Lord. Joab, who failed to grant Amasa and Abner and Absalom mercy, would not be granted mercy even at the horns of the altar. Shimei's next. So just like a mafia movie, as the music plays, henchmen do their master's dirty work. 1 Kings 2.36 Then the king sent for Shimei and said to him, Build yourself a house in Jerusalem and live there. Do not go anywhere else. The day you leave and cross the Kidron Valley, you shall surely die. Your blood will be on your own head. Shimei answered the king, What you say is good. Your servant will do as my lord the king has said. And Shimei stayed in Jerusalem for a long time. But three years later, two of Shimei's slaves ran off to Achish, son of Mecha, king of Gath. And Shimei was told, Your slaves are in Gath. At this he saddled his donkey and went to Achish at Gath in search of his slaves. So Shimei went away and brought the slaves back from Gath. When Solomon was told that Shimei had gone from Jerusalem to Gath and had returned, the king summoned Shimei and said to him, Did I not make you swear by the Lord and warn you? One day you will leave to go anywhere else. You shall surely die. At that time you said to me, What you say is good, I will obey. Why then did you not keep your oath to the Lord and obey the command I gave you? The king also said to Shimei, you know in your heart all the wrong you did to my father David. Now the Lord will repay you for your wrongdoing. King Solomon will be blessed, and David's throne will be secure before the Lord forever. Then the king gave the order to Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, and he went down and struck Shimei down, and he died. 
The kingdom was now established in Solomon's hands. To conclude this episode of Message to Kings, let's discuss the type and shadow going on here. First, we've got to consider the strangeness of David's change of heart. It's so contradictory and it rubs the wrong way and contrary to his character to such a level, there must be something to it. The biblical tension points to a greater picture the Lord is painting. An overarching story is being told. David's final instructions point to a type and shadow of things to come. David represents Jesus and his mercy for believers in his dealing with his people. God gives every man and woman a chance in this life to accept him. But there is only given this life to live and to accept God. But at the end of everyone's life, we are held accountable. At the end of everyone's life, there will be eternal rewards or eternal punishment. It's the painful truth of the gospel. It brings freedom and liberty and blessing. But for those who fail to accept God, their destiny is the darkness they chose in this life is the darkness they will dwell in for eternity. It's this moment at the end of the age where God separates the wheat and the chaff that is called the valley of decision. And it's this separation at the end of the age of good and bad, righteous and unrighteous, that Solomon represents as a type and shadow. In 1 Kings 7, 7, it states Solomon built a porch for his throne where he might judge the people and it was called the porch of judgment. Upon this porch, according to 1 Kings twelve twenty, Solomon made a throne of solid white ivory covered in solid gold. This throne was one of a kind on earth. From this throne, Solomon judged his cases of state. One of the most famous of these is the case of the prostitutes and the death of one of their sons from 1 Kings 3. At the end of the age, after the horrible tribulation time period on the earth and judgments and bowls and trumpets and revelation, possibly before the millennium reign or after, Jesus comes to judge the earth and we see another great white throne and judgment that comes from it has been turned with the great white throne judgment scene. Revelation 20, 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. Check out the reference to these heavenly books. There is a good number of heavenly books referenced in the Bible. The book by name in this case is the Book of Life. Check out a few more references to this book, and by these references, we can tell believers in Jesus are those whose names are written in this book. Revelation 3, 5. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the Book of Life but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Revelation 13.8 All the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. So you may ask, where does one go if their name is in the book of life? Where their destiny is on the golden streets with Jesus, where they can eat from the tree of life and live forever with Jesus. And for those who do not accept Jesus... Daniel 7:10 A river of fire was flowing coming out from before him thousands upon thousands attended him 10,000 10,000 stood before him the court was seated and the books were opened Joel 3:12 Let the nations be roused let them advance into the valley of Jehoshaphat 
For there I will sit to judge all the nations on every side. Swing the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, trample the grapes, for the wine press is full, and the vats overflow. So great is their wickedness. Multitudes, multitudes, in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near, in the valley of decision. The sun and moon will be darkened, and the stars no longer shine. In the words of Jesus, the wicked are destined for a place of darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hell is a horrible place. See, hell was designed for the final place for the devil. It was not designed for you and me. The only way a person can go to hell is to reject God and not accept his mercy and grace and free gift of salvation. In heaven, there are crowns and rewards and many books, but these are only for those who are judged worthy for accepting Jesus at the great white throne of judgment. Those who deny Jesus and choose the devil in this life, their destination is with the devil forever. With this judgment, we see the other side. God's mercy reaches for his people and his love never fails for them. But at the end of the age, we see the fear of the Lord and the effects of a true authentic walk with God. We see what happens to those who refuse God's mercy and repentance in relationship with him. There is a river of fire below the throne of God, which leads to the lake of fire and eternal damnation. This judgment seat is the place where God separates the wheat and the tares, the unrighteous from the righteous, and simply put, the good from the evil of heart. I want to be counted amongst those who are counted worthy and righteous in the sight of God. If you committed a sin, you can't hide. If you lied, you can't deny it. Sin is sin. We've all committed sin. As Paul said, we are all deserving of death. The penalty of the wages of sin is death. But if it not by works or obedience to the written code that saves us, but it is faith in the one who fulfilled the written code. It is faith in Jesus that will separate believers at the great white throne of judgment from unbelievers. May the fear of the Lord be upon us as we consider if our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Is your name written in this book? Ask yourself, Have you truly, truly accepted Jesus? If so, then you are saved and granted access to God in heaven for eternity. But if your name is not, Daniel declares the river of fire is there, which leads to the darkness that overwhelms and overtakes everyone who doesn't accept Christ in this life. The God of mercy and grace extends his hand and calls you to be his accepted child for the entirety of your life. And you have the entirety of your life to accept him. But you never know how many years you have to live. Some have the liberty of a slow death. Others have suffered tragedies before. It's a big risk to wait until you're old to accept Jesus. Every man or woman is given free will. What you choose in this life is up to you. Heaven or hell, darkness or light. What do you choose today? If you choose heaven, call out to God. Thanks be to God who sent his only son to redeem all mankind. For all who accept him and confess them with their mouth, they will be saved. For when the dreaded great white throne judgment occurs, you will already be approved and your sin will be paid for. And you will walk outside of the throne onto the streets of gold, heavenly fruit, and given keys to your heavenly mansion prepared in advance for those who love him.
Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. We'll be taking a week off next week, and when we return, we'll further get into the reign of Solomon. If you have any feedback or suggestions, please email us, for we'll be studying and discussing Solomon for the next three months. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com, or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.